Hi guys, it's Gemma here from I Think My Fridge is Haunted. Just before we start this episode, I uh, wanted to say a quick message to everybody. We realised this is our 50th full-length episode and we just wanted to say thanks to all the Fridgies for standing with us for the past year and a half and here's to the next 50 episodes. The other thing I wanted to say, which we should have said during uh, recording was that this episode is quite triggering as far as female violence is concerned, violence against women, rape and murder. If uh, you feel that current situations regarding Sarah Everard and the women's marches going on both in Australia and the UK are triggering to you, I would probably advise you to skip this episode. It is a little bit of a heavy one. This podcast is hosted by RPP. The following episode contains coarse language, violent themes, sexual references, and the really creepy stuff. If you're underage, turn off your device. Normal people, Esther, don't just go straight to demonic infestation like we do. Because the government was also freaked out about babies. They might be dealing with a demonic possession. Meanwhile, as she's on top of him, squeezing his throat, she's screaming, who sent you here? And they started to move towards her really fast. What are these? Australian aliens. Welcome back, everybody. (laughs) Here we are again. I think it's season... For episode 11 today, I think. And guess who's here? Guess who's back? It's Enya. Hello. How's it going? Enya was here last year. I think it was uh, around about the beginning of season three, I think. Uh, It was the last episode before we locked down for COVID. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Enya spoke about a cryptid that she had seen. So um, um, I'll I'll have to find out what the name of that episode was uh, if you haven't listened to it. because Don't push the pink button. Yes. Because that's the one. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the one also um, we talked about – Otto Warmbier, who was the the, the the guy that was um, kidnapped in North Korea as well. Yeah, and that, that and was interesting. Yeah, it was and really Esther talked about was it like sex dolls? Sex dolls in China? Ja- Japanese Japanese sex dolls that they that were was like, a really interesting episode. Yeah, yeah, we talked about loads of interesting stuff. We got loads to get through today. Flipping. Oh, cool. Absolutely loads because there's a lot going on in true crime at the moment. Yeah, and I'm that's what I do in my downtime is watch murder things. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm right up in it, and um, yeah, I you know every time I think I'm going to come onto this show or, or I get invited back, I get really excited, and then all these things pop into my head about I could talk about this and I can talk about this. Or I listened to a previous episode and I'm like, oh, my God, I need to tell the girls about this. Did you make a list? I did make a list. Oh, great. So I was laughing because I was listening to Lady Fox's one and we were ta- they were talking about um, gnomes. Yes. And I love law. Okay, love cool. All that sort of stuff. And you were talking about the, the holder folk and um, there's like Irish legends about like pukas, which are house brownies, which was, you know, really tying into what you were talking about but yes um, I wanted to show you what my beautiful darling husband bought me one year for <laughs> my birthday maybe okay um because I like plants 
Um, but he bought me a zombie gnome. Holy cow, that's <laughs> creepy. <sighs> so it's literally a garden gnome and it's got blood coming out of its mouth, its eyes are dead, and yeah. it's it's its hands are kind of out sort of in front of it and it's, it's bit aggressive disturbing <laughs> i love it he sits in my kitchen window so with my he has Sarah's. a certain charm <laughs> yeah. so it was just really funny because you know <laughs> zombies gnomes and then i was yeah i thought about another story that i if we have time i'll no we'll totally do that we'll totally do that um yeah i w- actually it was really weird because i went to a, a witchcraft seminar this this week and um and they were talking about gnomes i was like what are the chances <laughs> how weird it's a really co- i feel like it's a really common factor that runs through so many different i cultures. thought it was ju- i thought it was just me i thought i was the only person interested in gnomes no there's actually a lady that lives a couple of doors down um, down the street from me and when I take the dog for a walk we walk past her house and she has a gnome collection they all sit up on the top of her garage oh wow and I went and you know randomly caught her outside her house one day and she was like 75 and she was like yeah these you know they're my little protectors and I was like fitting <laughs> but wow I wonder whether she knows anything I didn't kind of press her further but she just kind of loves collecting garden gnomes and they just sit out the front of her house yeah I mean look some people think that there's definitely a certain type of um power to them uh and uh yeah i yeah i just think of the goosebumps episodes that were on when i was like early 2000s yeah (laughs) (laughs) gnomes love gnomes shall we do a fax from the freezer yes fax from the freezer fax from the freezer (laughs) all right do you want to go first or shall i go first um i can go first mine's just uh I have two. Go for it. Depends. Um, so <laughs> this one was one that was actually, it's very, very common on Facebook and was making this rounds a lot like a couple of weeks ago. But chainsaws were initially invented to assist women with childbirth. Well, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. So the in- invention. Oh, Chris. Sorry, Chris. Chris just <laughs> taking her glasses off. She's like, Freaked out. I'm going now. Yeah. So the- <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> But not in the sense of what we think of today. So we think of a really big, um, aggressive, toothy, nasty thing. Yeah, Leatherface. Correct. (laughs) You know, some sort of delight horror movie thing. But they're only about maybe 10 centimetres long, about four centimetres wide, and they were hand cranked. So it was helped to get through the pubic bone when they were initially doing C-sections. Whoa. Very, very early on in the medical discovery of surgical intervention because women, you know, were subject to to childbirth without painkillers. There was no anesthetics. There was no epidurals, nothing like that. So um, what used to be a C-section used to be a very brutal process and the application The C is for chainsaw. (laughs) Very well could be. Look, I actually have no idea. You know, it's cesarean. Um, But, uh, yeah, they uh, produced this little handheld rotary device that helped them get through pelvic bone a little bit easier and actually get the baby out. That's and fascinating. Yeah, it was really interesting. And then it was then developed to more of, a, again, a, a further surgical use for war um, with amputation of limb. I bet it was. Yeah. So, again, like rotary saw as opposed to handheld bone saw, which was, you know, much more traumatic, mm-hmm. much more um, visceral and a lot more exertive on the person doing the cutting, which is. Yeah, right. A bit gross, but kind of interesting. Yeah. 
So that's my fact from the freezer. That's amazing. I wonder if there's any photos. Yeah, yeah, I'll show you. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's a it's It does look very surgical. Yeah. It's like, a, you know, the old handheld beaters. That's what I was just going to say. It's yep. like it's like the beater and you go zzz and you, you spin it around and around and around. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. How bizarre. Mm. Old surgical um, equipment is, is fascinating, though, isn't yeah. it? Fascinating and um, frightening. Yeah, so my, my <laughs> mum collects or... It likes to have um, glass syringes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've bought her a couple of glass syringes that I found in antique shops. and Wow. Mm. That's a cool thing to collect. Yeah. So because she's been a nurse for so long. So yeah. I'm 31 now, so it would be 33 years that she's been a nurse for. Yep. Um, and hypodermic needles and syringes and all that sort of stuff weren't plastic and disposable. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They were reused, weren't they? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of um, Outlander. I'm watching Outlander season five at the moment. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. It's on Netflix. I'm going to die. <laughs> and, yeah, Claire is very attached to her reusable hypodermic needle. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's um, set for this weekend when I actually have nothing on. I'm very excited about because I don't think I've yeah. had – it's been about 30 days since I've not had anything on. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> I feel you. I hear you. Yeah. Have fun. <laughs> Jamie. <laughs> Did you have another one that you wanted oh, to say? Yeah, another one was just really random. So um, it's a movie or film fact. My favourite. Yeah. So Quentin Tarantino, um, when he was doing Kill Bill mm – -hmm. He was so enamored with Uma Thurman's stunt double, Zoe Bell. Yes, who also was in Death, Death Proof. Proof. So Death Proof is a specifically designed movie to show off Zoe's skills. Because Quentin Tarantino loved her so much, he made a movie for her. So it's like a, it's, it's like a tribute to her. It's yeah. like, it, like she, it's, it's the archetypal muse. Mm-hmm. Isn't yeah. it? Wow. So he was just, he loved her so much. He was like, let's do something really crazy. And she was like, I love stunts. Yeah. Let's do this like really. And she did some insane stuff in that film. Yeah. Where she's like on the front of the car and things. Like... Yeah. With just like the belt. And that's yeah. all her. None yeah. of that is at all reference. Even when she flies off into the bushes, like she's just. Whoa. Her. Yeah. I did not know that. Mm. Interesting. And so all of Uma Thurman's stunts in Kill Bill is done by Zoe. So when she's doing yep. all the flipping and all mm -hmm. the being thrown into shit, that's her. So what about the break dancing? <laughs> the break dancing <laughs> kicking. I I don't know that fact. That I, I want it to be her. I would. Look, <laughs> I feel like she's talented enough. She is, <laughs> and she's also the sweetest Kiwi I've ever met in my life. Oh yeah. So when um, did you meet her? At a con, a couple of oh look, it was years ago now yeah um but yeah she was just real charming real mm. lovely um and then yeah and then you kind of every time i watch it i'm just like you're just so cool yeah she is she's rad yeah i want to be here when i grow up so. <laughs> all right on to my fact from the fridge this is this is uh, i don't even know i i kind of I was looking for a fact about something specific and I just kind of fell into this, which has nothing to do with my story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is so weird. Bed bugs <laughs> reproduce by a strategy appropriately named traumatic insemination. <laughs> according to Live Science, in which the male stabs the female's abdomen and injects sperm into the wound. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to react to that. But... 
That's a real. So what do they do? Because, you know, I'm assuming there's not just one whole receptacle in her abdomen. So what happens if he gets it wrong? I look, I think he they can they can just stab put it in there and it's and it's good. Just it gets absorbed. <sighs> anyway, and just for your uh, information, um, during their life cycle, females can lay more than 200 eggs. Uh, and then I wrote down some of the funny bed bug questions that I found on Google, like the most popular <laughs> bed bug questions. Um, do bed bugs live in pillows? Are bed bugs smart? What do bed bugs hate? Can you feel bed bugs crawl on you? What happens when you squish a bed bug? And this was my my favorite one. Where do I sleep if I have bed bugs? <laughs> Not with the bed bugs. <laughs> Not on the bed, I guess. Uh, so I just thought that was a crazy fact that made me go. <laughs> <laughs> I feel itchy now. Sometimes yeah. you start talking about head lice and you start itching bed bugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got so much to go through today um why don't we start with the sarah everard situation over in london yeah mad. uh so for those of you that have not been following the news it's a really big deal in the uk at the moment sarah everard uh she was a 33 year old marketing executive she went missing while t- while walking home from a friend's house on the 3rd of march in london Her remains were later found in Woodland in Kent uh, and Metropolitan Police Officer Wayne Cousins, 48, has been charged with her kidnap and murder. Mm. And a vigil on Saturday to remember her has attracted criticism after footage showed officers detaining women, prompting Prime Minister Boris Johnson to say he was deeply concerned. Yeah. What are are your thoughts? Well, um, so the police presence was a real concern. Mm. I'm allowed to swear, aren't I? Yeah. How fucking dare you? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. How fucking dare you? It's a vigil, firstly. Yeah. Why do you need more cops than um, mourners. mourners? And let's call it what what it is. They were mourners. I don't believe that they were protesters. And if, even if they were, they were peaceful protesters. Yeah. And uh, there were women. Then there were women. feel this, mm-hmm. you know, are just... What I really said was, uh, your argument is invalid yep. and we retain the right to beat women. Yeah. I really ret- feel that that was, and, and they were, they were in a sense backing up this, this alleged perpetrator. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like at no point in time, are we going to hold our workmate, our comrade, whatever accountable for mm-hmm. their bullshit. We're not going to denounce this, but we're in a position of power to control and limit your functionality in expressing yourself. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of rage for it. Yeah, I totally understand it. I think a lot of people probably should. I don't think – I think we will probably do a longer episode on this at some point, but I definitely wanted to bring it up today just because it is such a – it it is such an issue that, you know, it's online every time you turn on the TV, every time you, you, you click on a news app. Um, and it has also, you know, and in Australia, we've got our, our own women's rights marches happening at the yeah, moment with yesterday. the uh, accusations of um, sexual assault in Parliament. And um, as usual, <laughs> our Prime Minister was not helpful. No, in <laughs> fact, he was useless. 
oh my lord, what did he say? Oh, at least they didn't shoot you. Yeah. Or something like my, that. Yeah. My, like, and, you know, the fact that he didn't even register the empathy until his wife decided to reference the fact that what if, you know, husband, my dear, what if this was your child? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, m- maybe then it's bad. Like he's kind of clueless. I, I feel like sometimes he, he says things that he thinks are sympathetic, but then he I, just kind of crazy. He, he, he drives me a bit crazy sometimes. Yeah. And I, as I'm growing up and, you know, I'm 31 now, 30, mm-hmm. um, we get to a position where it's, it's no longer acceptable to just not say anything and, you know, uh, I'm going to disclose a lot of stuff. I grew up in a high domestic violence household. Um, my father and my stepfather, it's a position where I have been very lucky to pick a partner that does not exhibit the same behaviours. Mm-hmm. But it is so common. I don't know how much louder we can be, to be perfectly clear. I don't know how much more we can say to get someone, anyone in a powerful position to help us. Yeah. To not just listen, but to act. Just to be proactive. Why does it have to be reactive? Why is it from the position of someone else has died? Do we then go, oh, maybe, maybe we'll look at it. Yeah. It's just, if it was happening to them. Oh, it'd be a different story. It would be a different story. Completely different story. You know, if there was, if, and I'm, I have a husband. I love my husband. If there was, if this was a man's issue, it wouldn't be an issue. No, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I get real frustrated and I get real ragey about it. I'm not willing to give people the benefit of the doubt anymore. I feel like those words are so damaging Mm -hmm. because it gives people an excuse for their behavior. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the the coming weeks to see, uh, you know, if any actual change is made. I'm, you know, obviously not putting my hopes up yeah because you know i'm trying to rant then (laughs) hashtag boys will be boys and all that crap but um yeah that's definitely a big issue at the moment the next one uh but something a little bit different uh last week ronald defeo died i'm not sure who that is now uh the he's the amityville uh horror killer the original one so he spread, uh, and this is from the New York Post, he spread terror through Long Island and beyond by slaughtering his parents and four siblings in 1974, uh, and he has died, according to state officials. DeFeo, whose murderous spree served as the inspiration behind the Amityville horror book and movie franchise, died on Friday while serving a 25-years-to-life sentence at Sullivan Correctional Facility mm. in New York. So I don't really understand if it was 25 years to life because, like, 1974 was like 50 years ago. Yeah. So I'm not really sure if he's in prison for something else. Or is it 25 or, years per? Yeah. Cons- yeah. It served consecu- one after the other. Yeah. I think that's probably what it is. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I feel like it. And maybe that's just the char- the name of the charge. Like that's what yes. he was serving. True, true. At the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was 69 years of age. An autopsy will determine an official cause of Death. Okay, so there's no notification whether he was infirmed or whatever. He was just found dead. Uh, he's, it says the convicted murderer was transferred to Albany Medical Centre and print, pronounced dead at 6.35 p.m. So it looks like he was probably had a short-term illness or something like that. Mm. Anyway, uh, that guy's passed away. 
What else is happening? Okay, there's another story that caught my eye. Have you heard about this one? I had, I did not know about this. It's, it's quite horrendous, actually. So this is from ABC News. Three men who killed two people by locking them inside a toolbox and dumping them in a southeast Queensland dam have been sentenced to life in prison. Wow. Last week, a Supreme Court jury in Brisbane found Trent Thrupp, Stu Daniels and Davy Tau guilty of the murders and torture of Juliana Triscaru and Corey Breton. Uh, there's another guy that was also on trial with the men called Waylon Walker, um, but he was convic- convicted of the lesser charge of manslaughter and has been sentenced to 12 years in jail. The bodies of Mr. Breton and Ms. Triscaru, uh, they were 28 and 31, were found submerged in Scrubby Creek in Logan in February 2016, uh, over two weeks after they were last seen alive. They had been lured into a townhouse at Kingston, south of Brisbane, under Daniel's direction. Uh, Daniels believed Mr. Breton was setting him up in relation to selling drugs. Once inside, the pair were beaten and bound with zip ties, then forced into the metal box. So it looks like a coffin, basically. It's Mm. a metal. It's used to keep tools and things like that. Uh, They were forced into the metal box where they remained for hours until they were loaded onto the back of a ute. Uh, Witnesses told the court the pair were kicking and screaming from inside the toolbox before they were driven to the dam and... uh, They used tires and rocks to sink it. Their bodies were so badly decomposed, doctors could not determine an exact cause of death, but concluded the pair had likely drowned or died from asphyxiation. Uh, The judge described the murders as despicable crimes. Wow. It's a very brutal way. That's dark, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So drug, drug. Drug related, but it says in an emotional victim impact statement read in court by family members, Mr. Breton Breton and Miss Triscaru were described as loving and caring people. So, uh, Mm. yeah, I thought that was a bit of a you can bit of a dramatic one and a drug dealer. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) true, true. (laughs) Well, nobody deserves that. I mean, what a horrible, horrible way to go. Yeah, and that's like that sort of premeditation. Is mm-hmm. a pretty kind of that's a really aggressive that's thing. No accident. No, definitely no. not. And you know, you've got to be some type of person to think about that mm-hmm. as you're sinking some like well. Yeah. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> that's really, really bad. Uh anyway, shall we get on to our main story? Yeah. Okay, here we go. So with everything happening with Sarah Everard and the protests and all that. I thought today that I would do some a story that we, we've been wanting to do for a while on the podcast. I am going to be covering the murder of Mia Zapata. Have you heard of this one? No, tell me more. Okay, I sure will. My sources were Rock and Roll True Stories on YouTube, Rolling Stone, Wikipedia, Seattle Times, and Polestar. So, Mia Zapata was born August 25th in 1965 in Louisville, Kentucky, and she was the daughter of two media executives. She went to a private Catholic girls' school called Presentation College, and she learned to play guitar and piano by the age of nine. Apparently, according to her dad, she's a pretty shy kid, and she loved old-school blues like Bessie Smith and Billie Holiday, and she also loved punk music. Good, good choices. Yeah. I like those choices. 
In the mid-80s, she went to a school called Antioch College in Ohio to study liberal arts, and it's there that she meets musicians Matt Dresner, Andy Kessler, and Steve Moriarty. Dresner remembers seeing her at an open mic night, and he said, I was transfixed and overcome. I cried. It was raw, honest, to the bone, and from the heart. So later in 1986, Mia sees the Dead Kennedys play at their college and she and the guys decide to form their own punk band called The Gits. So 1986, we know it's coming. Grunge is coming. Mm. Very cool time in music. Yeah. And like that's the real expression age, you know. Yeah, totally. And, you know, there's not the technology that we've got today. Everything was so DIY. Absolutely. But I feel like the sound is much truer, whether it was shit or not. The sound itself is not put through a computer. It's, mm-hmm. it's you playing your instruments. It's yep. you putting your real soul on stage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool times. Mm-hmm. Cool times. So even though Mia comes from money, she's apparently not much of a material person. And she was described as being a very social person who brought people together. The band release a few singles on an indie label and they're starting to get a buzz going on the music scene. So they decide to move the band to Seattle Mm. in 1989. Yeah, because Seattle grunge was mental. Exactly. So alternative music is taking off in that area um, and they pretty much live the punk rock dream. They move into an old rundown house um, and Mia gets a job in a bar and the house is where they all live and they, they write songs and they rehearse there and the house is also a hangout spot for other musicians as well um so however the band was still kind of outsiders um on the scene and they had to create their own niche um which they managed to do and they got their own sort of following happening After a while, things are going pretty well for the band. They do shows all up and down the West Coast, playing gigs with Nirvana, L7, Seven Year Bitch, Beck, Sublime and Green Day. And they even toured in Europe in 1991. So they're doing really good. They were getting bigger and bigger. And in 1992, they released their first album. And by 1993, they had a US tour lined up, including shows in New York City. Along with all this, they were also working on their second album. So, you know, things are ramping up. Hmm. So, in the very early hours of July 7, 1993, Mia is at a friend's apartment in the Capitol Hill area of Seattle. She had just come back from LA where she had played a solo show and apparently she was really happy according to her friend Valerie Anew. And Valerie was a, her friend from Ohio from the college that she went to and she yeah. also moved to Seattle and she formed the band Seven Year Bitch. Oh, cool. Who were also really big in yeah. that sort of riot girl grunge yeah. sort of era. So Mia had been seen out at a bar called the Comet Tavern at around midnight and she left the the bar to go find her ex-boyfriend Robert Jenkins at a rehearsal space which is in an apartment building about one block away from the bar. The rehearsal space is in the basement level but she couldn't find him there. So she stays in the building, she goes up to the second floor to her friend's apartment and she just hangs out there for a little while instead. Yeah. And it's about 2am when she decides to leave. The next 80 minutes are unaccounted for. 
It is thought that Mia either went to walk home or walked towards another friend's house to find this guy, Rob. Yeah. Or Robert. Reasonable. Yeah. At around 3.20 a.m., somewhere between 3.20 and 3.30 a.m., about two miles, um, that's 3.2 kilometres from the bar, in the central district, a sex worker is walking along and finds Mia's body on the street near the intersection of 24th Avenue South and South Washington Street. And unfortunately, she is the latest musician to join the 27 Club. Of course. Exactly. Oh, no. So found on the street, like on the sidewalk or on the road or... I'm pretty much on the road. it, It was described as a deserted street. Right. She's found with her arms outstretched and her ankles crossed as if she's been positioned to look like she's been crucified. I got goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Medics came and tried to revive her, but to no avail. Um, and at this point, she was also unidentified. Right. So in the morning, she doesn't show up for a band recording session and her friends are really worried. They call the hospital and they call the police. So this is interesting. One of them finally, as a last resort, decided to call the morgue. Oh, okay. The medical examiner is actually a fan of the band. And he's identified the body just by looking at her. And he says over the phone, it's your singer. I'm sorry. You should get someone to come down and identify her. Wow. What a coincidence is that? So... She's not disfigured enough. So it's not like she's been hit by a car and, and, you know, has just landed that way. She's just this pristine angel laying in the It's definitely – she. it looks like she's been posed in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's thought that around 2.15 a.m. on the night that she died, just after she left her friend's house, Mia had been beaten, raped, and strangled with the drawstrings of her own hoodie. You know, like these yeah. little things here. Yeah. And she was actually wearing a hoodie that was like her own band merch, which is super sad. The medical examiner said that the beating itself was enough to kill her. So mm-hmm. even if she had not been strangled, she probably would have died anyway. Yeah, right. So that additional action is a like a passionate thing or a aggression thing like. yes exactly it's so aggressive it's, yeah. it's like almost like overkill yeah and you know i feel like the time it takes again this is me watching too much true crime <laughs> but the time it takes to strangle people is is so much longer than than people actually anticipate it is yes. it's not the same in movies so no. to actively strangle someone enough for it to be a prominent notification in a um, coroner's report Mm -hmm. is a lot. It means they they were on a mission. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were so hyped at the time that, you know, this was just what they had. Oh, yeah, that's fucked up. It's bad. I hate people. So there was what is described as blunt impact to her abdomen and also a lacerated liver kicks. Which I don't know how a liver is lacerated by beating, so it must have been like, I mean, this person must have been. It's generally kicks. It's a kick, you think. Yeah, so lots of blunt trauma, laceration of livers and and spleens. Um, They're quite a soft organ. Right. So they tend to, when they say laceration, it's like a split. 
So it can be from a pressure and a split or if you're getting, yeah. Oh, poor girl. Yeah. And that's when you, like, you know, if that's enough to kind of kill her, um, you can bleed out from those sorts of things quite quickly. Internally, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Because you've got lots and lots of blood vessels that run through your liver because that, you know, detoxifies your whole body. So your whole... Oh, yes. Yeah, so, you know, you... If you have a lacerated liver or a lacerated spleen or something like that, you can you bleed out. That's that's how that. Could you go you. into like toxic shock? Toxic like shock. Um, you can go in. You can go into shock, um, but that's your body shutting down from a different perspective. But if you yeah, you can bleed out and and go into shock and that'll kill you because that's you end tough. up with cardiac arrest. Yeah. Oof. Um, so unfortunately there's little to go on for the police to investigate with the case. There is very little biological evidence left behind by the perpetrator. I mean, and keep in mind, she was raped as well. Yeah. No witnesses were coming forward and there were no fingerprints. And DNA? We'll come to that. Okay. Don't forget, this is 1993. Yeah, I was going to say, because, yeah. Yeah. So Dresna, the guy from her band, recalls the sense of fear and suspicion within the music community at this time. He said, Mia's murder put an unbreakable pall on the, our tight-knit community. Uh, and this was written in Rolling Stone. There was definitely a sense of fear and suspicion based largely on the fact the police had no leads to find her murderer. I felt like everyone was coming up with theories and conspiracies about who killed Mia with a lot of our close friends becoming suspects of the Seattle police department and or the community. It sucked. Mm. Meanwhile, a wake was held for Mia back in Kentucky and she was interred at cave Hill cemetery in Louisville, but the case was going cold. So the Seattle music community comes together to put on benefit gigs to raise $70,000 to hire a private investigator to actually try to get some leads on the case. Yeah, and that's a lot of money in the 90s. Yeah, right? Um, Some of the bands that put up money and performed at shows for this to happen included Nirvana, Soundgarden, and Pearl Jam. And another way they they were raising money was the remaining members of the Gits, her band. They formed a new temporary band with Joan Jett, as you do. Yeah. And they did some shows and they even recorded an album under the name Evil Stig, which is Gits Live spelt backwards. Yeah. With the money they raised, they were able to pay the investigator, whose name was Lee Hiernan, for three years, but no major developments were made in any of that time. Now, the Rolling Stone article that I read suggests that she found evidence for the police to work with and handed it over, but nothing really came of it. All right. So is this a police stalling or is yeah or it could be something like she's like oh i know who did it or i know the description of the person and they're like well legally we can't do any we can't you know it's the old well we can't arrest someone for being creepy you know (laughs) (laughs) so um when the money runs out the investigation the investigator actually carries on in her own time well, I feel like if you worked on something for three years and it's, you know, the investigation. You'd the get invest- attached to it. Mm, but she's female as well, which is True. interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mm-hmm. feel like I would continue with that. Yep. So even after five years, the Seattle Police Department has to admit they've got nothing. 
While this is happening, the Seattle community are still actively trying to make Mia's legacy a legacy of justice. A group of people, including Mia's friend Valerie Anu, starts a self-defense organization called Home Alive, in which they educate women about protecting themselves against crime. There was also a benefit album released called Home Alive, The Art of Self-Defense, featuring both music and spoken word from artists like Lydia Lunch, who is like a spoken word legend. Nirvana was on there, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Jello Biafra, which is cool because the gits formed after they saw the dead Kennedys. Yeah. Um, Presidents of the USA was on there, members of Heart um, and the Posies, as well as live recordings of Mia herself. Uh, And there's also an all-night vigil held, which was attended by a 1,000 people. So it's definitely, I mean, you know, this is like almost 30 years later. This is still so happening. It's still so relevant. And so prevalent. Yeah. such a, like, I just don't get, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. I get so, yeah, I get so frustrated. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, I, I just I don't I don't know how much more. It's beyond belief. It's beyond belief. And it's that's this has rocked a community, a massive community. Mm-hmm. Like you I don't know why this hasn't gotten more attention. The fact that, you know, you've got Nirvana, Sound um Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. Don't so flip and jet. Yeah, so specifically supporting this. Why mm-hmm. ha, why why hasn't this been picked up more? I mean, it's a famous case in that community yeah you know it's sort of yeah definitely among the rock community it's known but among the true crime community as a whole it's kind of known but it's not you know it's not like your jean benet yeah or your metal mccann or your you know it's not i would not call it like a like a josh powell or something like that yeah i just you know i feel like if someone like you know you've got someone so big like nirvana getting behind something would would I, I suppose it's the times as well, but um, I suppose that's the only benefit of social media because if you've got someone like you know, Ariana Grande that gets behind something and pushes forward in this capacity, mm-hmm. it would be everywhere. I think also back in the day, like, you know, there was no Instagram, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter. Everything that they did was very, very uh, – what's the word almost contained very manual yeah um very analog and reliance so much on media getting yeah relying so much on the local paper or the or the national papers like you know they're going to be like well is there anything new in the case well no well why would we write about it you know just to keep it in people's minds it's not enough yeah absolutely because every day there's a a new murder to write about every day. There's a new national scandal with a politician, <laughs> you know, there's always going to be other things that are, you know, taking, today they're news. Yeah. Taking precedence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in 1994, Joan Jett and Kathleen Hanna from uh, bikini kill yep, cool. wrote a song called go home and the music video featured a woman being stalked and attacked, but she's able to defend herself against the attacker. So the band Seven Year Bitch recorded a concept album called Viva Zapata, which has songs on it that deal with Mia's murder as well. So the community is definitely sort of 
actively dealing with this mm-hmm. in their own way. And memorialising her. Right. Finally, in 2002, so this is after nine years, something finally happens with the case. Apparently, there was a swab taken at the crime scene that contained saliva because one of Mia's injuries was that she had bite marks on her. Yeah, okay. Um, And thankfully, they'd kept this swab in refrigeration in uh, in case technology allowed for DNA testing in the future. And they had tested it in 2001 with no results. But in 2002, they tested it again and they get a match. So it points to a guy called Jesus Mezquia. He's a Cuban man who lives in Florida and he works as a fisherman. He had come over to the U.S. in 1980 as a part of a mass migration of Cuban people to the U.S. Mm-hmm. So the Seattle police, along with a prosecutor called Timothy Bradshaw, head down to Florida and they put surveillance on this guy. Now, this dude's a, he's a big person. He's a, quite a tall, imposing man. Uh, And he's also got a history of violence. Let's go through the list because there's a list. Right. Domestic abuse. Awesome. Burglary. Great. Assault. Aggravated battery. Kidnapping. Uh, He's had reports filed against him from all of his exes and his wife. And he was in the DNA system because he had been convicted of carrying tools associated with burglary. He'd also been done for indecent exposure up in Seattle during the time he was there around the time when Mia died. Right. So I love that he's not – he doesn't get put into the system because of kidnapping. Mm. He gets put into the system because he's got some tools. I know. Isn't it ridiculous? (laughs) So – and he'd also been living in Seattle in July 1993. Okay. The investigators are able to detain this guy and question him, but he denies knowing Mia or ever having met her. In fact, he apparently still says to this day he doesn't know anything about it. Bradshaw winds him up during the interview asking if he raped or killed anyone in Seattle and Mithqueer stands up and spreads his arms out and shouts, See, I'm not shaking, I tell the truth. So the DNA match is apparently enough for Bradshaw at this point because he decides to file murder charges against him and uses the DNA result as evidence in court. He tells the jury there had been no eyewitness in the case, but now the DNA was the eyewitness. He told Rolling Stone, this is the technology they use to get profiles on mummies. So what he's saying is this DNA, um, you know, the, it, it lasts, like it doesn't, you know, we, it doesn't we, degrade. It doesn't degrade. Yeah, exactly. Especially if it's been kept under refrigeration, the likelihood yeah. of the sample being pure is. Good. Which thank God they did because so many times, uh, rape kits and uh, you know DNA swabs they go missing. Yeah, just get or, popped in a box, and ten years later they go, oh, I found my box of like a hundred DNA kits. Yeah, yeah, or they just get, they just disappear. Yeah. So after deliberating for three days, the jury finally finds Mithquia guilty of murdering Mia Zapata and he is sentenced to 36 years in prison, which because of her severe injuries was considered a really long sentence in the state of Washington. Uh, So I read that it was um, the average 
time for murder, I think, was 18 to 25 years, but the judge actually added more right. because of that overkill factor. The severity, yeah. Yeah. Um, so from Polestar.com, uh, Mia's bandmate Steve Moriarty said, I'm still in disbelief. It's something I've been beating my head about for the past 10 years. So this is a bit of a legal thing that happened that I, I was discussing with my husband last night and we were trying to figure out what it meant. According to the Seattle Times in 2009, the appellate court overturned the sentence in 2005 based on a U.S. Supreme Court ruling known as the Blakely decision, which said that any factor that extends a sentence beyond its standard range must be proven by a jury or admitted by the defendant. Right. So if he wanted it put down to the 18 to 25 years, he's got to put his hand up and say, I killed me as a putter. Yeah. Um, but Mithquia waived his right to have a jury determine whether aggravating circumstances would justify a longer sentence. This allowed King County Superior Court Judge Sharon Armstrong to again sentence him to 36 years in prison. So I suppose he could have had the opportunity to make it a lesser sentence, but um, he didn't want to admit anything. So the same sentence was passed on to him again. Well, at least he didn't get acquitted. That's yeah. And defense defense attorney George Epler said at, after the sentence in hearing that he did not know why Mithquia chose to waive his right to have his case heard by a jury, which could have shortened his time in prison. But I think it's also because they could have gotten more. Yeah, absolutely. And this as is well. The, he, uh, you know, he could have come out with fifty yeah. years. So in 2005, a documentary came out called The Gits, which I still haven't been able to get my hands on because apparently it's on Amazon America, but it's not on Amazon Australia. And in 2013, a play was released called These Streets, and it featured music by Mia and some other female musicians from Seattle. And in 2019, there was a Kickstarter campaign to help Steve Moriarty, her bandmate, to release a graphic novel based on Mia's life and legacy. However, I was researching this last night and it seems to be on hold um, as of around November 2019 because I can't find any updates on this book or whether it's been released or and like on his website, it's very, very minimal. It just says there's a button that says donate and that's kind of it. And there's really no information about whether this book is actually going to happen. So I'm interested to know yeah, if that's going to go ahead. Absolutely. Do you think that COVID's caused all November? Maybe. So. Well, November 2019. So that's kind of a really pivotal time when everything sort of started to go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> November, December, it was like, well, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what do you think of all that? I think it's a – again, I'm trying not to get ragey. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, I just – I'm so I'm so sick of not being taken seriously. Like mm-hmm. this, this is – that is so serious. She mm-hmm. was so, so badly injured and the – the position that she was put in, A, is disgusting because that's weirdly um, ethereal. Yeah. The injuries that she sustained, the fact that she has been raped, bitten, strangled and beaten. Kicked. This is not a 
This is not a quick thing. No. This is not a, I'm just going to punch someone as I walk past them and keep running. Yeah. It's a prolonged rage killing. Absolutely. And, you know, he's the perpetrator stands up and says, I never knew her. You know, you didn't have to know her. You just picked someone and took out every little rage-filled, complete fantasy and entitlement on this person that was walking past because she just happened to be in the wrong spot. I have to wonder if he was known to, uh, you know, indecent exposure was on on that list in Seattle. I have to wonder if he'd sort of tried some sort of, you know, really disrespectful act or called something at her or, you know, opened his pants or whatever. And she... Tried to solicit her maybe... Or tried to solicit her and she sort of, you know, being from the riot girl movement, she's stood up for herself Mm. and that's made him switch. That's just like, you know, he wasn't really expecting that, didn't like being stood up to. Yeah. That to me is most likely what happened. Yeah. And the thing that I have such a problem with and it's a really biological thing um, is that we can be as physically strong as we want, but men will men will absolutely have a biological um, advantage advantage over us. Mm-hmm. And I just don't understand why people think it's it's okay to teach people and teach whole generations of people that they are absolutely allowed to degrade, to take what they want, to beat, to rape, to kill people, and it's just a high chance that they're going to get away with it. Mm -hmm. And their entitlement, their complete lack of respect for someone else, for another human being, is so clear. The complete... Like the lack of respect mm-hmm. is unbelievable, and always that uh, that that belief that the you know the boys will look after you, mm-hmm. the boys club will be there. Yeah, well, look at the cops. The cops in the UK, they're looking after him. Yeah, yes, yeah. or if- just or just um, claim um, like that guy that 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 swimmer guy. What's his? Oh, I can see his bloody face in my. It starts with a B. Uh, who raped the girl by the dumpster. Oh, my God. Brock. Brock. Why would you ruin someone's life for 20 minutes of fun? Yeah. You know, you're not talking about the woman's life. You're talking about your asshole of a son Mm -hmm. who just felt like he was entitled to it. Mm -hmm. You know, his his feelings, his wants were above everyone else's. Right. And that's that's his dad's teaching. Yeah. He's been told you have the right to do that. Yeah. You, my beautiful golden child can take what you want Mm -hmm. and I will protect you. And that is the fundamental issue that we're dealing with, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, as a performer, I quite often go to my car late at night. You know, I walk to my car, whether it's just outside a venue, whether it's, you know, down an alley in the middle of Melbourne, Mm -hmm. you know, even walking home from the gym um, in the middle of winter when it's dark at seven o'clock at night. Yeah. Um, I have, I 
actually have these moments in time where I get so angry because I'm so scared. I'm so scared that something's going to happen, that I'm going to be assaulted, that I'm going to be hurt, that I I don't even have five minutes to walk to my car after a great night because the immediate fear is that I am am in danger. The reality sets in. Correct. Mm -hmm. And then I get these moments where I get really mad and like angry cry because I should be able to walk home. You know, my gym yep. is seven minutes from my house and mm-hmm. I should be able to walk from my gym back through a playground to my house and not die. But that's not what happens. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's just, it's not what happens. And uh, it's just... Uh, so my sister was sexually assaulted She's been sexually assaulted three times. Wow. Um, I've been sexually assaulted twice. I just, I just cannot get past why they feel like holding someone down is not a problem. Mm -hmm. How fucking dare you? Yep. You know, and if it was a politician's child, things would be different. Correct. If it was a politician, if it was happening to the boys, it would be a fucking problem. Mm -hmm. But it's not taking someone's complete autonomy away from them and putting someone in a position where they cannot get away from you is such a it's such a cruel thing. And I don't know how people, I don't know how people develop like that because right. that level of cruelty, whether you're drunk, whether you're high, whether it's cultural, I don't care. You have to be some sort of fucked up to be that cruel. Right. And I just, I can't do it anymore. And I get really angry because like, you didn't even tell me about the last one for nearly two years because I was going through my surgery at the time. Mm -hmm. I wasn't coping with that. And it happened the night before my surgery. And I'm so mad because my mother didn't tell me and she went through that alone. Were any um, charges ever pressed? So he left the, so uh, it was, it was at a, they went to a hotel for a friend's birthday. Right. They went to, um, went out for dinner um, we're going to go out. Her friend's boyfriend brought my sister in a drink um, that was laced with GHB. What? And was like, I'll have a drink. with." Or the guy brought it one in and, sorry, the friend bought the drugs. The friend's boyfriend brought the drugs and the guy came in and, and gave it to her and was like, oh, just have a drink with me. And Lucy's like, oh, I'm not, I don't, don't want to drink too much. It was a group operation. Yeah, two guys. Yeah. Jesus. Um, and so he was like, oh, just have a drink with me. You know, come on, skull it. Right? You know, like hyping her up. Right. So she had like two mouthfuls and then was continuing to get ready. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing she knows, she woke up with him on top of her. Holy cow. And the fucking thing is she had the – she didn't drink at all. She had the presence of mind to push him off her. She went and called mum. Mum called the Frankston police straight away because they were in the city mm-hmm. um, and they sent cops up. They called the Swanston Street cops and sent cops straight away. The friend's boyfriend hid him in the car. 
and then helped him get back to his home country another couple of days. Home country? Yeah. He, he fled overseas? He fled overseas. Jesus Christ. And the friend's boyfriend has been charged, was charged with perjury. Right. Um, and was the charge was um, thrown out by the judge. <laughs> so fucked up because there's text messages of him buying the drugs. There's text message of, of him saying, no, nah, mate, I'll take care of it. Just stay in the car. I'll hide it. The guy's like, oh, my jacket and stuff is still in the hotel. He's like, oh, you stay there. I'll get it for them. I'll, I'll make sure they don't find you. How was this thrown out? This is the $64 million question because the judge decided that she wasn't going to uphold the perjury charge. She gave him a $5,000 fine and then told him that he was a revolting human being. $5,000 fine is not going to teach you ethics. No. And if you think that... What's wrong with Do you? Do your fucking job. Yeah. Hold, uphold the charge. Some of these judges are just as bad as the perpetrators. But this is the thing. that He's like, oh, you know, he won't be able to get on with his life. You're worried about his life. But my sister now has to go through more years of therapy. Yeah, and, and trauma. she's constantly telling me maybe this is just my lot in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stab a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, go mad. Well, this guy gets a second chance. Well, this guy gets a second chance, and she still won't tell me his fucking name, so I can't ruin his life. (laughs) Some days, I want to go and slash his tires, Mm -hmm. and I want to go and write nasty things to his boss, so that he knows that he'll never get away from it. Just like he will never get away from it. Yeah, you know, she may heal and she may grow, but this is something that will never leave her. And no com- compensation for her. So she got criminal. She got criminal compensation from the courts. Right. But that doesn't. That doesn't make up for it. No. That is. Uh, that is a hell of an experience. It just goes to show that everybody knows someone, you know, knows or or is someone. Yeah. That has come across sexual assault. Correct. In varying levels. And you know whether it's groped on the street, whether it's. You know, groped at work. It's it's you know it's pushed up against something and forced into kissing someone. Mm-hmm. It's freezing because you're so scared that this is gonna get worse. Yep, and you don't have the capacity to fight back because you are biologically different to the person that's doing it. But this person is so cruel to you mm-hmm. and so entitled to their satisfaction that it doesn't matter quite often as well these men target women that they think are if they say who's going to believe you yeah they're going to say yeah you're right who is going to believe me correct because society says you're just being a loud girl Mm -hmm. you need to sit down and shut up Mm -hmm. you need to stop making waves you shouldn't have been out you shouldn't have been wearing that you shouldn't be a stripper on stage you should not have been put in that situation. It's your fault. Yep. You were there. The culture of victim blaming still is uh, is not understood by the majority of people. No. I know in our community things like this are definitely understood and discussed on the regular basis. Correct. But to the majority of your regular white bread suburban people, they don't know these terms. No. But it's even – it starts so benignly, mm-hmm. you know. Like I got a – I got a – um, sexually suggestive meme the other day from a um, patron and it was like you know just a meme about this cat sitting on a table and it's like thick thighs and fishnets and he's like licking his lips 
And that's I was like, weird. That's it's weird and but, inappropriate. Correct. But the fact that I have to tell you this, yeah, because you can't differentiate me as a human being, as me as a performer doing my job. Yeah. But this is, and you know, this is why dick pics are inappropriate. This is why call it cat calling is inappropriate because you, it's your entitlement it's your satisfaction that getting out of this you've got no thought Mm -hmm. of the person that you're sending this to yeah you don't give a shit about them you're satisfying yourself yes exactly yeah yeah Anyway, shall we talk ghost stories? Yes. Tell me uh, what what were you gonna tell me? Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, well, because I was listening to last week's podcast. Oh, this was this this was like the zombie cat thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So listening to last week's podcast, when we were talking about gnomes, and then I was like, oh, look at my zombie gnome, and then um, <laughs> it got me thinking about um, this zombie cat. We call it a zombie cat because I'm thinking about pet cemetery. Well, kind of, because when, when I was here last time, we were talking about how you tend to be the person that picks up the dead animals oh, or the cats. It continu- just yesterday. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Not 24 hours ago. <laughs> so I'm the same. Like, I'm the one that tends to pull over on the side of the road and pick something up yeah. or, you know, take something to the vets. And Yeah. So I live North Melbourne um, in a fairly semi-suburban-ish but still quite green area Mm -hmm. and um I we'd been living in our house for some time now um and it's quite a funny thing because our anniversary our wedding anniversary is cursed oh what (laughs) (laughs) so first year anniversary our family dog unfortunately was bitten by a tiger snake and died oh that's tragic awful awful um our second year anniversary we had a car accident whoa just a very small one yeah but still but still (laughs) um our Something happened on – so our third year anniversary was the, the zombie cat, um, which was very interesting because – so there's, there was this cat that had been living around our house for some time. Like I'd been seeing this thing for about a year. Right, okay. So, you know, big old fluffy grey, you know, dude just hanging around and – yeah. Um, I have a cat and a dog. I'm an animal lover. I was like, come here. I will love you. You know, yep, we'll come feed live you. with us. Yeah, totally fine. Um, I had seen him about six months before the incident. Um, he was in our driveway and we pulled into our driveway um, after a night out. I think I'd gotten back from the club or something. Yeah. Um, and um, he was in the driveway and he was hobbling a little bit. So he's one of his back legs was kind of stuck up in in a direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I told my husband to stop the car and I was like, I'll get out and try and rescue this cat. So I got out and I tried to get him and I, I touched him and he just kind of went under our other car and kind of escaped off and I couldn't get a hold of him again. Mm. 
And so I'd kept an eye out. And then I'd gone and spoken to the neighbors because I was like, you know, is this anyone's actual cat or is he just kind yeah, of Yeah, what's the deal with this little guy? Yeah. No one had him. No one knew where he was. I didn't know how far he was roaming. So I was like, okay, I'll just keep an eye out. So we then had <laughs> – so we were coming up to our anniversary and it was a three-day ordeal, this oh, cat. And it's a very sad story. Um, so trigger warning if there's, you know, it's a bit gruesome. Right. But out the front of our house, so we overlook a kind of um, down um, a pretty steep hill with our garden and whatever, and there's like a little area out the front that's got some um, paving stones and some grass and stuff. A little bit overgrown at the time, September, so a bit kind of wintry, not much maintenance in the garden. Yeah. So we had this. Uh, I went to look outside and I, something just caught my eye. And I said, oh, my God. I said to my husband, the cat's out there. You know, she's just sitting in the grass. It's just kind of curled up in this little kind of area that looked like he would just, you know, made himself a little nest. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, I'll, um, I'll try and go out and get him. So I, you know, got a towel and I kind of wandered out the front and I could see it from the back, couldn't really see its face. And I was like, all right. And then I, you know, as I approached it, he ran away. So he ran away through our neighbor's fence and in like back past their um, back past their house. And my husband went and had a bit of a look. And he's like, I could see like a little pathway through the scrub where he's obviously kind of getting in and out. Mm-hmm. But he kind of was a bit too quick. And I was like, oh, I think his leg's broken because it's still in that same position that I saw it six months ago. Mm. Holy so, cow, man. It, it's like almost like healed in that. Yeah. Mm. And like it wasn't moving at all. So I was like, poor little thing. So I was like, okay, you know, it looks like he's coming back here because the grass is quite flat. Um, you know, it's warm. It doesn't seem to be, you know, like he was just passing. He seems to have kind of come back to this little area in my little scrub for a little bit of time. So I went and got some of my cat food and kind of put it out there and made a little box and put some blankets out there and I was like, you know enticement come back to me yeah, I will love yeah, you yeah help me help you yeah <laughs> we can do it together um and so the next day I'd seen him again and I saw him and I was like Glenn he's out there again so I ran out um and he wasn't kind of in the area he was just kind of behind and he was sniffing the box and I was like oh it was too quick that time you know I was I jumped the gun right yeah patience patience so the day after was our anniversary and we were going out for dinner or we went out for a nice lunch um, and we went and saw a movie and we kind of were just chilling out and uh, <laughs> we got home. It was, you know, it was a, I think it was a Saturday afternoon and I walked into the kitchen and I remember putting my handbag down on the dining room table and I went to take my jacket off and I just looked and I was like, that cat's out there. <laughs> Like, right freaked out with kind of like the cat's out there he's just sitting there it looks like he's just sitting there I was like okay finally oh my god so we had a plan glenn i was going to go out one way with cat food and glenn was going to go out the other way with a blanket so he would look at me and glenn would block off the little path that he was using to escape yeah and then he could get the cat and then, you know, we could put it into the crate and it would be fine. Like we had this plan together. So I'm out there 
banging this cat tin, <laughs> making all the <laughs> pss, pss, pss noises yeah. you can, <laughs> being really enticing. And this thing looks at me. I am not squeamish, but holy shit. Both of you have just gone, what happened? Lean, I just leaned back a little bit. What? Um, his face was half gone. Holy cow. Like from palate, top lip into the nose, into the eye, was just gone. And it was full of maggots. Oh, bless his heart. He's probably been hit by a car. Oh, something happened in a fight with a fox, in a fight with a possum, and it's just got an abscess and infected. Mm-hmm. Awful. Bad. So I stopped and I was like, shit. Shit. <laughs> and so Glenn's, problem just got bigger. Yeah. Well, so Glenn kept coming and obviously caught this animal. And I was like, don't let it scratch you. Whatever you do. No. So he held this big blanket over it and just kind of scooped it up. And we popped it into the cat carrier and it was kicking off and he was alive and he mm-hmm. was, you know, and I was getting quite like hyped up. So I was like, fuck, what do we do? So I rang the vet. And I said to the vet, I was like, look, we've got this cat. Um, I'm not quite sure what to do with it. Um, Its legs broken. It's got half its face missing. It's covered in maggots. Like I I don't quite know what to do. And that's what I said to them. And then I started to get a little bit teary. And Mm -hmm. the vet's like, that's okay. Don't worry. Just bring it in. We'll get it sorted straight away for you. So I was like, okay. And that's all I said, right? We got to the vet and the vet was like the the, – receptionist and the um, vet nurse came over and took the cat carry away from me and was like, okay, we'll pop it out the back and, and um, you just need to sign some papers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I signed some papers and then I waited there and she's like, sorry, why are you waiting there? Are you waiting for your cat carrier back? And I was like, no, I need to know what the vet says about it. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's still alive. She's like, what is this? What do you mean? It's still alive. You told me it's half its face was missing. I was like, "What?" Yeah, she thought it. She thought I, I'd found it on the side of the road and it was um, deceased. Right. Yeah. So she didn't because I hadn't she, said that it was still alive, and she just thought because of those terrible injuries, of course it's dead. Of course it's dead, and this crazy person's just sitting here waiting for it. And I was like, "No, no, it's still alive." And I'm just she. Her face dropped, and she kind of ran off to the back, and she was like, "Okay, um, it's you know the." the injuries are not sustainable with life. You know, this is where the vet's going to put it down. Um, But I swear to God for the next kind of three days, I saw this cat out of the corner of my eye and my house. Oh, wow. So um, I contacted a friend of mine who um, practices uh, quite a lot of uh, spiritual witchcraft and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't know how to get this thing to move on because I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. I'm thinking about it a lot. I feel like it's, you know, stuck here. Stuck here. And so she kind of walked me through a little ritual and, and um, you know, I kind of laid out some petals and kind of lit some candles and, and, you know, really had a lot of intention of releasing this, you know, poor little soul who was stuck here um, off into the into the ether. But, you know, it was just quite an interesting turn of events because I don't know how long that thing survived. And I say that thing with a lot of apprehension because, yeah, it was very 
kind of full on. Right. Um, but yeah, we quite often refer to our our little zombie cat and <laughs> poor little guy. Yeah. So you know that was quite an interesting um, experience, and that was our third anniversary. And then wow. <laughs> so, um, that's an amazing story. Yeah, it was, you know. But I'm glad that he was able to have, like, a peaceful end at the end, like, with drugs and things. Me too. Because for feral animals like that and, you know, homeless animals, a very a peaceful death is a very rare occurrence. And I feel like, you know, that's the least I could have done. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would have loved it to death anyway. Like, make it fat and happy, and you know. Oh, I know, but look, it's just like it, it, you know, who knows? It, it's probably been out there since yeah birth. I reckon it was out there for quite a few. It years. doesn't know the difference between a good human and a bad human. No, definitely not. Mm. And you know, the last thing I would have wanted it to have done was just to continue to waste away. You know, mm-hmm. for even another day. Yeah. Awful. Right. But yeah. Poor little guy, but he's lucky to have um, come in contact with you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's probably one of the first times I've ever gone, oh, that's that's confronting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not screamish, but that was just, I was like, okay, okay. That reminds me, I need to ask my nail tech what happened to the possum. I, I was going to my nail appointment um, a few weeks ago, probably last month, I think it was. And she rings me and she goes, are you on your way? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she goes... There's a possum at the back of the salon. I don't know what to do. It's like having a seizure. <gasps> I was no. like, okay, don't worry. I'm going to be there. So like, I'm so glad you're coming. Because you're I'm the so person. glad it's you. <laughs> um, yeah, so I got there and she and the, t- and the neighbors were all out at the back of the salon in this alleyway, <laughs> just kind of like keeping their distance and watching this poor brush-tailed possum just roll around and lurch and seize. Oh, no. So I just get out, I go to the back, I get a box because there's for some reason there's always a box in the back of my car for such <laughs> situations. And um, she had a towel cause for the, from the salon and she gave me the towel and I just kind of, and I just went up and, and this animal was not attacking anyone. Like it was, it was so confused and it was so weak and everything. Aww. So I picked it up and it had a joey in its pouch sticking out as well. So I don't know what happened to it, but. Yeah. What, what did you do? Did you take we it? took it to the vet. Yeah. Yeah. We took it to the vet and um and I never and I didn't ask her what happened. I'll ask her. I'm seeing her next week, so I'll ask her what happened. Yeah. It'd be interesting follow up to that story. Yeah. Well, you're lucky you're in the right place at the right time, aren't you? And you're obviously known to be reliable, which is good <laughs> with animals. Yeah. Dead yep. and alive. <laughs> <laughs> you're the person. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for coming in. It's always nice to have you here. Thank and you so much. You've always got in- interesting, insightful, <laughs> uh, you know, stories and great for a discussion. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. And your hair matches our logo. <laughs> <laughs> it does this week, doesn't it? It's last time I was purple. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm, yeah. I'm bubblegum pink It's again. literally friggy pink. <laughs> <laughs> I shall be your mascot. (laughs) Anyway, you guys, uh, thank you so much for stopping by once again. Next week, uh, we have uh, we have Beck coming in. Uh, Once you meet her, you don't forget her. She's hilarious. And we're going to be talking about cults. So join us then. So until then, how about you be creepy? But don't be a creep. Woo!
<laughs> Am I too mad? No, absolutely okay. not. 